Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I guess first, uh, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell me what you do? Sure. My name is Dr. Mai Fleming. I'm a family medicine physician at the University of California, San Francisco, at a telehealth company called Hey Jane, and I'm a fellow with Physicians for Reproductive Health. I called up Dr. Fleming after the draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade leaked from the Supreme Court. A draft opinion that appears to have the votes. In some ways, Fleming was expecting this, but it didn't make it easier to hear. It still was very upsetting to see the words that were written by Justice Alito. While folks who have been working in reproductive health and access have been talking about this for a long time, I'm hoping that the shock of this, for not just us, but for Everybody really brings this issue into the mainstream. In her practice in San Francisco, Fleming provides all kinds of medical care, including abortion. She also does something else. I also provide telehealth medication abortion across five different states where I'm licensed to practice medicine through a company called Hey Jane. And I'm doing so to help broaden access to care beyond my geographic bubble. Today on the show, a conversation with a doctor who helps facilitate abortion via the internet. The pandemic changed the way abortion care could be provided online. So what happens now? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Before the pandemic, if you wanted a medication abortion, where a pregnancy up to 10 weeks gestation is terminated using a two-pill regimen, you generally needed to get the first pill from a hospital or a clinic. With the exception of a small telehealth research program, FDA rules meant that a patient who wanted a medication abortion had to see a provider face-to-face. COVID changed that. First, when a judge briefly lifted the FDA restrictions in 2020, and then in April of last year, when the agency itself temporarily allowed patients to get the drugs by mail. That meant a huge opportunity for telehealth. A lot of the care that we've been providing in person can be carried out just as well and just as safely over the phone or through virtual video visits as in-person visits. Um, Abortion care was one of those things. In the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a huge study that came out of England and um, the National Health Service there that demonstrated over tens of thousands of people who obtained medication abortion via telehealth in Great Britain were able to do so very, very safely and actually with fewer complications than the previously published numbers on safety for medication abortion. And so we were able to uh, replicate a lot of those studies here in the United States, again, reconfirming and redemonstrating just how safe and effective medication abortion over the phone is. I, I was really struck looking at that study. You know, it compared groups of women who'd had in-person appointments for a medication abortion, and and they'd gotten a sort of traditional appointment with a sonogram, and then groups who had who had gotten it um, via telehealth. And essentially, the rates of, of complications were pretty much the same. Right. And I do, I do want to quickly emphasize and stress that it is not only women who obtain abortion care, people of all genders who have a uterus and have the capability of becoming pregnant do um, seek and obtain abortion care. So I think it's important to be inclusive in the language that we use. Absolutely. Um, but, um, you know, whether a person is prescribed medications from an in-person clinic or a telehealth clinic or whether they order their own medications online, these medications in the abortion process are the exact same across the board and proven to be very, very safe. Based on studies like this and data from its own temporary rule change, the FDA decided to permanently allow patients to get abortion medication in the mail at the end of last year. That means platforms like Hey Jane, where My Fleming works, are able to provide virtual services in states where telehealth abortion is legal. With a a platform like Hey Jane, do you have conversations with people who are on the fence or do most of the patients who you are talking with, do they know what they want? Like any medical care, um, there is no one size fits all for a yeah. patient encounter in, in any field. Some people know exactly what they need and what, what they want, and we are happy to help facilitate that in a safe way. There are people who may not 
feel 100% certain at the time that they start engaging with us, whether this is something that they want to proceed with. And we talk with folks through that. Do you have a a typical patient? I know that's a a tough question. I, I am so interested in kind of the stats. You know, I'm sure you've seen there's a sort of a New York Times thing that they have resurfaced in the past day saying a typical patient already has children, is probably in their late 20s. I I wonder if you have seen commonalities among your patients, particularly the ones who are are doing this online. Generally, uh, I see a whole range of people coming from all different experiences and backgrounds. Some people are already parents, absolutely, um, and are making a decision that best fits what they need for their current families. Some folks are not parents and have never been parents. Some people have never had an abortion. Some people have had abortions before. There is not one abortion patient. There's not a typical abortion patient. A common statistic that that folks reference is that um, one in four people of reproductive potential may need at least one abortion in their lifetime. And so um, most people know somebody who's had an abortion regardless of who you are or or what your circumstances are. Where do your patients typically live? Obviously, you're physically based in California, but you're licensed in a number of states. And I'm wondering, are they, you know, in a a rural part of the state and they can't physically get to a clinic because there isn't one near them? Yeah, so that also ranges. I've had patients from very remote areas where the nearest abortion provider might be three or more hours away and patients who live in a big city where abortion might be accessible, but the wait times are weeks long. I wonder if you could talk a little bit from your perspective as a provider of what it's been like to to have the internet as another tool in your practice. Uh, you know, you've been doing this work for a while and I, and I wonder if having the expanded reach of the internet has made you think about being able to to reach people who you couldn't reach before. What has that been like? Cuz it's a, been a pretty profound change over the past 2 years. For folks that have ready access to internet and phone, the ability to be able to provide care in the safety and comfort of a person's own home really means a lot to some people. And particularly when we talked about very stigmatized care, right? Where um, a person doesn't have to travel for sometimes hours, sometimes days to access care. They may not have to get childcare. They may not have to travel through angry protesters to try to reach their doctor or their healthcare provider in order to access this care. It has been a really important avenue. Of course, the digital divide means that people who don't have reliable internet access have a harder time getting telehealth abortion care. Outside of kind of the internet access piece, not everybody has access to a safe space Hmm. in their own home uh, or in their own situation in order to access care whether um, folks are victims of interpersonal or domestic violence, folks have been victims of trafficking or don't feel safe disclosing the type of medical care that they need with their family or other people who live in their household. 
It is for those reasons telehealth is not the answer. It doesn't actually address the root issue, which is the overall lack of accessibility in the first place, and is only accessible uh, largely in the states with permissive abortion laws. We already know that, you know, many states uh, already have, and if they don't already have, they're working on it, uh, legislation to restrict and eliminate abortion access via telehealth um, and and for some just medication abortion in general. When we come back, what those telehealth abortion laws mean for patients. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody. It's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. Despite the FDA rules, 19 states restrict the use of telemedicine for abortion care. That can either mean an outright ban or requiring that a clinician is present when the pills used for medication abortion are administered, which in effect means telemedicine can't be used. For the people who are in the states where they are not able to use telemedicine for medication abortion. If abortion is still accessible in those states, they may be traveling very far distances to obtain care. If not, they may be traveling to distant states in order to access care. Some people may be ordering their own pills online. I think the biggest risk with folks self-managing their abortions at home is not the medical piece. We've already well established in this, you know, whole talk how safe these uh, medications are for people, but it's really the the potential legal repercussions. We've seen criminalization of folks who have self-managed their abortion and even by extension we've seen criminalization of people who are actually suffering a miscarriage where a person who they have reached out to for help and for medical care have reported them for suspicion for self-managed abortion or self-induced abortion when in fact it's really a miscarriage, right? So it's not surprising that the folks who are most at risk of being criminalized are the same folks that are at highest risk of being criminalized in our country in general. Folks of color, folks who are undocumented, um, gender diverse folks, folks who are in lower income communities. And I worry about the state of increasing restrictive and punitive climate 
on the ways in which people on the ground may end up translating those restrictions and laws into criminalizing patients who are seeking medical care. You know, the internet has has made meds easier to get, even if you are not talking to a board-certified doctor like yourself. Um, I wonder if we are contemplating this post-Roe future, will those informal networks get bigger? Will, will the internet play an even larger role here? We have a lot of experience of what a post-Roe world will look like in the state of Texas. There was a study that looked at how the demand and request for medications through aid access changed in Texas um, after the implementation of SB8. And the number of requests, honestly, not only in Texas, but actually across the country, increased by a very significant degree, by by multiple magnitudes. And I don't have those numbers off of the top of my head, but if that's any indication, I wouldn't be surprised um, if if that would happen. Um, But we have yet to see. Can you imagine a future where you're helping people in those states get medication over the internet? Regardless of what the law is in any given state, there are always going to be people whose goal and mission is to help folks access safe care, whether that be through logistical means of helping folks travel across state lines, if they're able to, um, providing monetary and logistical support to do so, or helping get folks the information that they need um, to safely manage their own care where they are. Dr. Mai Fleming, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much. Dr. Mai Fleming is a family medicine physician and fellow with Physicians for Reproductive Health. That is it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next?, Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And for a broader understanding of what happened at the Supreme Court, I recommend that you listen to Wednesday's episode of What Next. Mary Harris talks with the invaluable Dahlia Lithwick. We'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.